Well, turning back to the scriptures once again, we're to, turning back to that third chapter of Second Samuel. To Samuel, and we left our reading at the end of verse 21. We'll pick it up at verse 22 and uh, hopefully get some of this um, history into our minds. Verse 22, 2 Samuel 3 and verse 22. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away, and he is quite gone? Thou knowest, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah. But David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes, and gird you with sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the bier. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. When all the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swore, saying, So do God to me, and more also if I taste bread, or aught else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel. And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. Amen. We thank the Lord again for this reading of his word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Our Father, as we come to consider this word before thee, we pray, Lord, that thou would direct our thoughts. Lord, that thou would give us insights into the scripture, that we might know that those things which are recorded are recorded for our admonition, for our instruction in righteousness. And Lord, we pray that thou would bless these things to our minds, to our thoughts, and that we might not let them slip. Lord, we 
we pray that we might not be as that wayside where the seed fell and the birds of the air came and uh, and snatched it away lord that we might be the good ground into which the seed falls and brings forth fruit in our lives that we uh, might have love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness goodness faith meekness lord we pray that these things may abound in us lord we pray that as we consider the characters who are recorded for us in the scripture and their various vices as well as their virtues lord we pray that we might learn even in our own lives that thou hast called us unto righteousness and unto holiness bless us then we pray continue with us now and put thy hand upon us for good in jesus name we pray amen well we're looking at this third chapter then and uh, it has stopped me for some time had a bit of a uh, a block over how to take this uh, this chapter perhaps i could have taken individual verses but uh, the plan has been from the beginning of first samuel to uh, expound what is going on and to draw from it lessons from our hearts so uh, lessons for our hearts uh, so uh, that is the approach that i want to continue really so I want to consider this, and I want to consider it under three heads, but uh, we won't cover uh, the three heads this morning. We're going to look at one of them this morning, uh, the second one, uh, God willing, this evening, and possibly we may look at the third as well. Uh, the first is the approach of Abner, the second is the animosity of Joab, and the third is the astonishment of David. As the approach of Abner will take up our thoughts this morning. And when we consider Abner, we have, we have looked at this character before, and we have seen that he is a man who is uh, something of a grey eminence behind the scenes. Uh, he is a, a man who we don't see on the forefront, but he is always at Saul's side. And certainly with Ishbosheth, he is a man who seems to be calling the shots. Uh, he is a man who made himself strong, as we saw in the beginning of this reading uh, today. And he was a man who uh, w- w- had great ability as well as a, as a warrior and as a chieftain within the, con- within the country. Uh, he was Saul's uncle. So he was Ishbosheth's great uncle. Of course, being a, a patriarch of the family, uh, he had power in that way. But he was also very wily. Uh, he was, uh, had great worldly wisdom, uh, and he had uh, many aspirations uh, within the kingdom. Uh, we saw some time ago, it was now when we were looking at this, how that even when Saul had been anointed king and he came back from seeing Samuel, that it was Abner who met him and asked the question, what did Samuel say to thee? And Samuel said, that, I mean, uh, Saul said that, uh, that Samuel had told him that the asses had been found and that he should return home, but he didn't tell him he had been anointed. But Abner seems to be a man who has great insight, uh, great powers of perception, and he knew something had happened. Uh, and perhaps he had even heard of the fact that Saul had prophesied on the way back uh, from that anointing. So here we have a man of, uh, of great talent, a man of great power. So I want to think about him, first of all, and these aspirations that he has, uh, the power behind the ruler. Uh, this 
uh, certainly been something uh, that, we, that we have noticed and looked at before, and he has a lot of influence in the whole of Benjamin and indeed in Israel as a whole. Uh, you will see there in the verse 17 that he, it, we read, And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, Ye sought for David in time past to be king over you. Then, now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their, their enemies. So he goes to the elders of Israel. Presumably these are the elders of all the tribes of Israel, that he is so well known and so well placed to be able to meet the great men of the nation, those who are the eminences of the nation, and he is able to speak to them, and he is able to speak to them in such a way as to almost command them. Well, this is what you wanted. Now is the time. And now you have permission to go to David, and there won't be any repercussions. In fact, I am now encouraging you to go and to join with David. So he has great power in this way. And he has aspirations also to be a leader amongst the people. And then we find in verse 19, And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David in Hebron. So Benjamin is his own tribe, and he has great power there as well. And probably the people knew well that even when Saul was king, that the power behind the throne uh, was a greater power still, that Abner was the one who was in charge, and that Abner was the one who had the king's ear. But again, uh, here is a, a man who has these aspirations to, to, to rule, uh, to control, and he's not interested in taking the, the first spot. He doesn't mind if there's a figurehead king, as long as he has control and power underneath that, and that he is the actual one who works amongst the people. Absalom, uh, later on in David's life, takes a similar kind of view, doesn't he? Here is the king, but Absalom sits in the gates, and he says, well, the king doesn't really have time for you, but if you've got problems, bring them to me, and I'll sort them out. And we can see how the people's hearts were turned after Absalom. And Absalom took them away from the king. And David, in, in the end, has to flee from Jerusalem because the people's hearts have been taken, stolen away by Absalom. That was, it seems to me, the position that Abner was seeking here. Joab recognizes it. Joab sees the dangers. But nevertheless, uh, the way that he deals with the, uh, with the dangers is a problem. So we see his aspirations, and then we see his approach. First of all, his reasoning. Now, he was no fool. He was a, an astute uh, reader of the times. And David, once and again, had been delivered from every attempt to slay him. And we have noted it, of course, throughout the book of Second Samuel, the second half of the book, the second, or First Samuel, the second half of the book, anyway, when Saul is seeking to kill David. And he comes, and he, and he sends armies after him. And he has opportunities to catch him. And yet, every time David is delivered, and Saul is delivered actually into David's hand. So we know of two occasions in particular where David could have slain him. And indeed, his men, the men that were with him, bade him slay, slay him. They said, God has delivered him into your hand. Now kill him now. This is obviously what the Lord wants. But David says, no, it's not obviously what the Lord wants. Because if that was obviously what the Lord wanted, he wouldn't have anointed him king. And so I will not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. 
and uh, we find that David has more wisdom than the people who are around him. And every attempt to slay him, and the more they had sought to demonize him, the more he grew in the esteem of the people. And even in this very chapter, we can see that when Abner goes to the elders of Israel, he says to them, ye sought for David in time past. Ye sought for David in time past to be king over you. So Abner has noted all of these things. He knows where the heart of the people is. He understands what their purposes are and what they they would really like. And he has held them uh, really under his power uh, for a long time. Well, he thinks at the beginning that his his best source to power is Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth is even weaker than Saul. Ishbosheth makes a nice figurehead. But we can see, and as we've noted in, t- in, in past time, that Abner has power over Ishbosheth. And we read again in this very chapter that when he takes Rizpah, who is Saul's concubine, and Ishbosheth says to him, What are you doing taking my father's concubine? That Ishbosheth really can't answer Abner when Abner gets annoyed with him because he fears him. He is afraid of him. Uh, verse 11. He could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. Abner is a, is a mighty man here. And he is seeking power for himself. Again, verse 1, there is a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. So we see the, the, the reasoning, reasoning of Abner behind this is... First of all, uh, that he seeks power. Secondly, that that's not working out. That Ishbosheth is not getting more powerful, but he is getting weaker. That the hearts of the people are actually turning towards David rather than towards him. And so we find that there is this kind of a, a form of repentance, a change of mind. Not the repentance of heart, which is a, a, a true change of mind, but certainly a, true, a, a change of tack here that he seeks to uh, go a different path and he uses this uh, dispute over Rizpah in order to say to Ishbosheth, well I am going to turn the people to David I don't need you and as we said Ishbosheth can't say anything he can't say well you're my captain you go and do what I tell you he's afraid of him and so we can see where the real power lies here and Abner then decides that he will go and he repents this uh, fighting against God. He is seeing that God certainly is with David as he has said. That's an amazing thing, really. Because Abner actually uh, makes the confession that God has promised to set David up as king. And yet Abner is fighting against God. It's a, it is a strange thing, I think, in life. That people, even when they know, even when they are uh, convinced that there is a God still... Don't worship him. I was opening the doors of the church this morning. And just as I opened the doors uh, to, to lock them back, there was a lady walking past and she was crossing herself like this because she was walking past the church and it was opening. But she didn't come in. And I would imagine she was uh, probably of a Roman Catholic faith, uh, maybe Orthodox or Greek Orthodox or, or who can tell. But... Uh, certainly she had something of a Christian upbringing or uh, some kind of connection to a church somewhere. And so she acknowledges God 
and was perhaps even afraid to walk past the church without acknowledging God and yet resists God. Now, I don't know if she actually resists God or not, of course, and I'm not going to cast aspersions upon a woman that I don't know. But it is true to say that there are a lot of people who will give a nod to the church and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in God. But they won't come into church. They don't really want to know God. In fact, it has been something in time past, that, and, and probably still today, that the less you know about God, the less you can be judged by God. And if you just keep acknowledge that he's there and, and hope that he's going to be kind to you when you die, you'll be all right. And if you have done things wrong, well, you didn't know they were wrong, and so God will just forgive you. That's not what the scripture says, of course. The Bible doesn't say that God just forgives us. God says there needs to be a change of heart, there needs to be repentance, and there needs to be a, a paying of the price of sin. And you will pay it, unless someone pays it for you. And we searched the whole world, and God searched the whole world, and he knows every heart, and he said there was no one. Not one person in the whole world who was righteous. There was not one person who could stand in the gap for anyone. There was no one here who could stand and who could, who could take the punishment of sin for anybody else. They all deserve judgment themselves. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Isaiah writes that the Lord took salvation to, his own, uh, to, to himself and his own arm brought salvation. And in Jesus Christ, who is born both man and God in this world, that he might resist sin, that he might be tempted, that he might be tried in all points like as we are, but without sin, that he could finish the work which God gave him to do, that he was the only one who has ever lived who could die upon the cross or die in any way for anybody else or take the punishment for anybody else. Only he could do it. And yet the world fights against him. And here we find that Abner fights against God. He's fighting against God. And now he's turning, but he's not turning because he wants to know the will of God and the power of God. He's turning because he wants power. And again, we see within the church so often people who just want places of authority. They have no interest in, in what the scripture says. And we hear of one and another who take on the doctrine of the world. And they say, well, it, it's all right to do this or it's all right to do that. Just so long as we can get people into the churches. And some, of course, have uh, beautiful buildings and they cost a fortune to, up, up, to uphold, uh, to upkeep. And they need to get the footfall. But there is no desire after God. It is just a position. It is just a, an authority. Some, of course, within the Church of England get to sit in the House of Lords and to pass laws. But they don't stand up for God in the House of Lord, Lords. They don't take the scriptures and say, thus saith the Lord. No, they will pass whatever they think will do them the most good. It will get them the most likes. Well, not maybe on Facebook, but no desire after God. And Abner is the same. Abner has no consideration, really, for what God will do. And yet he is able to say, here in verse 18, Now then do it, for the Lord hath spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. 
And even that is a, is a carnal attitude, isn't it? It's, it's just a, he will, he will save you from your enemies. Not that he will save your souls. David, of course, the, the great psalmist, sees so much deeper into the purposes of God and the salvation of the Lord. It is not just the saving of them, their hands, them out of the hands of the Philistines or of their enemies, but the saving of their souls from the power of sin. So we see this repentance is a kind of a repentance, a bit like the repentance of Ahab, who went softly and clothed himself in sackcloth, and God said, well, I won't just kill him at the moment, but he's going to die. But then we see the requirement, and David gives a requirement to, to Abner, and he says to Abner, you will not see me, except. So here we have these words in, in verse 13. He said, I, well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ish-bosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife, Michal, which I espoused to me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ish-bosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish, and her husband went with her along weeping behind her to Bacharim. Then said Abner unto him, Go, return. And he returned. So there is a requirement here. First, bring Michal, Saul's daughter. This sort of stopped me. I think that we have this kind of a, uh, an emotive response so often to the scripture. And, and what draws our attention is perhaps her husband, Faltiel, who goes along with her weeping. And we think, oh, that's a terrible thing. Why, why would David do such a thing? Why would he take away this woman from her husband, this loving husband who's going along weeping and and so sad and David that, that's a terrible thing that he's doing but just think for a moment uh, and uh, I, this came to, to mind as I was uh, talking to another pastor just this week and, uh, and just think for, why was she married to Faltiel how, how did Michal come to be married to Faltiel when she was already married to David now, we read in the scripture lots of times when men have multiple wives, but we don't read in the scripture that wives have meant multiple husbands. So why did this come about? And I think that perhaps it came about for this reason. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 20, we read that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. But then in chapter 19, and verse 11, when Saul is seeking to kill David... We read these words, 1 Samuel 19, verse 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And then verse 17, And Saul said unto Michal, Why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go, why should I kill thee? 
I think that the reason that Michal was married to Faltiel is because Saul, in his anger at losing David, took Michal and said, well, I'm going to marry you off to somebody else. This will be your punishment. Michal, remember, is the daughter of the king. She is a princess. Who is this Faltiel? This is just a man who is in the country. He has demoted her. He has degraded her. He has sold her off to some man. And what David is doing here is he is redeeming his wife. He is bringing her back. That's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of the gospel. That we have been sold into sin. That we are in bondage unto sin. That man who God created in this world, in Adam and in Eve. Man who was, who was given all of the blessings of God in the Garden of Eden. And cast them all away. Was sold into sin. Sold himself indeed into sin. But that Jesus Christ comes to redeem a bride unto himself. You see David in so many ways is the, is the picture of Christ. And we read here that her husband goes along weeping behind her to Bahirim. Well, that, that sounds as if he's heartbroken at losing this, this loving and wife that he loves. But is that, tr- is that true? Uh, we, we read that here that Michal's daughter loved David. That she loved David. And if, if she loved David, does she love Faltiel? Does he love her? Perhaps because of the context of, of, of um, Abner and everything in this chapter, perhaps Faltiel is just thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm quids in here. I'm married to the king's daughter. And, and in the context here, of course, when, when Abner goes into Rizpah, Ishbosheth is annoyed because he has taken the king's concubine, which gives him a particular authority. Later on, we find that uh, one of the sons of David uh, goes in and uh, seeks to have uh, Abishag, who is the, uh, the young virgin who uh, shared David's bed in his old age to keep him warm because he couldn't get heat into his body. And the Bible says that he knew her not, so it was not a sexual relationship. But David's son seeks to take her as his wife and... Uh, of course, Solomon was to become king, and Solomon says, well, you can't allow that. What, would you just give him the kingdom as well? So to, be, to take the concubine of the king was almost to have the kingdom. And here is this man, Faltiel, and he's going along and he's weeping behind her. Is he weeping because he loves her and she's being taken away and is just rending his heart? Or is he weeping because he has been uh, degraded, he has been put back in his place, that that which he should never have done in the first place has now turned bad and now he is cast out? And indeed, he's also in some, some danger, isn't he? Because he has taken the king, who is about to be king over all of Israel, he has taken the king's wife. And he could lose his own life. So the requirement of David is that his wife be restored to him. Not just for the fact that she is his wife, uh, which he espoused to him, there in verse 14 for 100 foreskins of the Philistines of course he had to fight a battle to win her in the first place but not just because of that but because she is a princess 
she is his wife and she should be with him and even though he has these other wives seven of them yet still she should be with him she is the one who he has married before any of the others she is the first wife the first wife and that's an important thing in scripture But we see that he doesn't just say this to Abner. Abner, although he has so much power, does not have the um, legal authority to release or to take away uh, uh, Michal from Faltiel. And so David sends messengers in verse 14 to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michal, which I espouse to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish. Well, he didn't go himself, he sent. And who did he send? Well, I'm sure you can guess who he sent. Because we find that when uh, Faltiel goes along weeping behind uh, to Bachurim, that then said, Abner unto him, go, return. So Abner is the one who has gone. So Abner has stood by the king, uh, and he has said to the king, this is to Ishbosheth, you need to do this. This is a, the right thing to do, to send Michal back to her husband and take her away. It was a wrong thing, perhaps he said, that Saul did. It may not have been Saul, of course. It could have been Abner, who, who was behind the scenes even then. But it was likely to be Saul. And so David has her restored once again. Here is the requirement. He, he, he can't just come to David and everything will be fine. Things have to be done first. But you see, there's something else here as well, and that is that Abner has an Achilles heel. Now, without going into Greek mythology, here is a person who now has a weakness. His strength was the fact that he was behind the king, behind Saul, behind Ishbosheth. Now he has opened himself up to come into the presence of David and he has to go softly. If he wants to maintain power and strength, he has to go softly. And so he goes and he speaks with David. And David, of course, is very gracious. David is willing to make this league with him. David is willing to allow him to come into the fold and it is perfectly legal and perfectly all right for Abner to, de to deliver the, the, his own tribe of Benjamin and the elders of Israel to David. That, that's not a problem. God promised that that was what was happening. But it was not what the Lord had in mind. Abner was not to be a part of this work. But nevertheless, the Lord uses him. And this we must always remember, that even the wicked are in God's hands. And sometimes we wonder how that can possibly be. How does God have people like Abner who seeks with Saul to slay David? How does he have him to be in the mix to actually establish David? Doesn't he do it throughout the scripture? And of course the, the great uh, classic um, time when God does that is when he takes the Jews and the Romans to slay Christ upon the cross. 
and Satan is there and his purpose is to slay Christ and Christ dies and redeems the people. You with wicked hands have taken him and slain him, but according to God's determinate counsel. And here the Lord has used even Abner, this man who has been against David. He has turned him and he has brought him, as it were, into the fold. But it is not to be that he is to work with David in the end. And when he comes with this new weakness into the presence of David, and David sends him away in peace when Joab hears it, Joab is incensed that this could ever be. And so he sends to Abner. And David's words concerning this in verse 33 are, Died Abner as a fool dieth. But Abner was now in with this uh, real Achilles heel because he had to get himself in not just with David but with Joab who is David's captain. So when Joab sends for him and brings him back he has to come. How is he ever going to get his way into this new dynasty unless he is friends with Joab? He already has great regard for Joab. We find that when he kills Asahel, Asahel has chased him uh, and sought to, sought to slay him. And uh, on a couple of occasions, Abner has said to Asahel, turn back, turn back. Why, would I, why, why do you want me to kill you? How can I lift up my, my eyes and, uh, and face your brother Joab if I've killed you? But Abner would not turn aside. And Abner, uh, not Abner, Asahel wouldn't turn aside. He kept following after him. And then we read that Abner smites him with the hinder end of the spear. The, the, the picture which is given to us is, is a kind of um, that they are running because Asahel is light of foot and that Abner too is running and, and perhaps the thought is here that as Asahel is right on his heels that, that Abner takes his spear and he puts it into the ground and the spear stops and Asahel runs onto it and it smites him under the fifth rib and he dies. Because it's the hinder end of the spear which kills Asahel. But he is, he is killed in battle. The scripture actually says this. It is killed in battle. This was in war. This is not murder. When Joab takes Abner and kills Abner, he murders him. It's not in a battle. They're not fighting fairly. There has been no warning given. And we will come to consider that also. But we find that Abner then meets his end. And Abner, who had had such a, uh, an aspiration after power, ends up with none, ends up with death. And there are so many today who will use any way to have power and authority and influence over others, will end in the same way because they don't know the Lord. And the Lord has used them, perhaps, in many ways, but they don't know him and they are lost the Lord will redeem his people as David redeems Michal brings her back from the punishment that she is under from her father Saul so the Lord will save his people David is vindicated once again it wasn't of David, David didn't kill him but Joab David is angry that Joab would do such a thing but perhaps when we consider it with an overview and perhaps with hindsight we can see how that even what Joab did 
was to the glory of God, even though it was wicked in itself. May the Lord bless his word and that he might bring to us many thoughts out of what we have said this morning. And, uh, one of the great things, of course, about the scripture and the preaching of the word, oh, there's so many things could be said, but you only say what you can say and you only say what comes to mind at the time. Uh, but our own minds can take up that which we have heard and we can, we can build upon it and we can make the connections ourselves. Why well, it's so important to read the scriptures and to know the word for ourselves. May the Lord bless us as we so seek to know the Lord.